effectively the, the root of propaganda. Uh, it is designed to take us into a heightened stage of anxiety. So then the mind becomes much more pliable and you can easily uh, swallow whatever, you know, a government entity or, uh, you know, bad actor wants to put in, in your mind, right? Because you start looking for answers. Welcome back to the Joe Mobley Show. I am Joe Mobley, your host and the original uncloseted conservative. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. Today, we have an awesome guest and an awesome conversation. We're talking about something that's a little bit stigmatized, uh, especially in traditional media, and it's that idea of gaslighting and, and what's going on there. We've got the author of an awesome book that the link is also below. You got to check out. He is Dan Shaiti, author of American Gaslighting how America is being systemically taught to hate itself. It's really a scary thought. It's an interesting uh, conversation, and I'm really excited. So let's bring him up. Dan, how are you? Good, sir. I'm doing great, Joe. Great to be with you today. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming. Uh, and, you know, I'm excited for the listeners because there there was a time in my life where well, I, not to get into conspiracies, but, you know, I thought conspiracy were a four letter word. I, I thought uh, propaganda uh, was a four letter word. And I would have said something like gaslighting is not true. It, it, it just isn't so. There, there's no one doing this. Why would someone gaslight? How could someone gaslight? And I, I truly thought, which they probably wanted me to think, I thought the concept of gaslighting was created by Hollywood specifically for television use only, something that could happen in the movies and not in real life. Mm. Uh, it turns out gaslighting is something uh, that happens in real life. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself and, and we'll dive in. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I uh, started my professional life actually in the military. I served four years in the U.S. Army Signal Corps. Uh, then I, um, I left the military, got married, started a life uh, in uh, private industry, worked as a federal government contractor for uh, probably over 30 years and uh, reached the point of, of vice president in a Fortune 100 company. And then uh, I sort of got tired of public life and started looking around for other ideas and things that I could do uh, and uh, became a, a speech coach. And uh, I have passion for writing. So I wrote a book, my first book on leadership. And then I've uh, since written two more books and American Gaslighting is, uh, is my latest. I'm an electrical engineer by, by training. Uh, I'm not a, a political uh, pundit per se, that's been at it for years. And I'm not, you know, one of those inside the beltway guys at all. Uh, I tell people I'm just an average Joe citizen who, who sees a problem and wants to solve it before our country uh, gets lost. So I decided to add my uh, voice to this, uh, to this fight. Awesome. So uh, before we get into the traditional interview part, um, I'd, I'd love to show the trailer uh, that you had 
uh, made for this book, um, which again, guys, it's American Gaslighting. It's by uh, Daniel Shaiti. Go and check it out. The link is right below. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, let's watch this trailer. It helps if I push the play button. That that makes things go better. <laughs> committee we're not going to be uh talking about the house ethics committee sorry there <laughs> aoc uh but so you included the def and the actual definition of gaslighting in the trailer there uh for for those of you who are video watchers uh, or not video watchers podcast listeners maybe go back uh, and check out the first five minutes of this on video um but it, it's got sort of a provocative subtitle uh, that Americans are being systemically taught to hate, you know, themselves. Uh, yeah. How one, how, how did you come up with this idea? What, what led you to write this book? Um, and, and that title, what does it really mean to you or for the American public at large? Right. So let's, let's talk about gaslighting first uh, and then uh, I'll break it down for you. But uh Gaslighting is a is a psychological uh, operation, and I, I checked oh, yeah. uh, your about page, and you're uh, you were in the military, so you know the term psyop, right? You probably came across that, but that's what we used to call it in the in the military, and so it is a it, and it's a, it's more than mere lying, and that's what people uh, sometimes associate gaslighting with. You know, it's just another word for lying, and it's really not. It's much more. Than that it originates actually from a 1938 stage play that uh, was then later made into a movie and it was about a husband who was trying to drive his wife deliberately insane uh, by getting her to uh, you know get become detached from reality like things things would happen he would deny it uh, or, and he would tell her that she did something when she actually didn't and it was just a, a constant barrage of, of this type of abuse that he was using to try to deliberately drive her insane. So that, that's the, the, uh, the root of the word gaslighting. And I felt it applied so perfectly to what's going on in America today because that is effectively the, the root of propaganda. Uh, it is designed to take us into a heightened stage of anxiety. So then the mind becomes much more pliable and you can easily uh, swallow whatever 
you know, a government entity or, uh, you know, bad actor wants to put in, in your mind, right? Because you start looking for answers. And the, the primary thing there is what happened with the COVID uh, pandemic that uh, touched me uh, very personally as well, but uh, created this uh, real mass hysteria where we readily surrendered our constitutional freedoms in exchange for safety. So, uh, and some sense of security. And that's exactly how, you know, one of the ways that gaslighting works, right? It takes you into this heightened state of fear, which then you basically try to, you know, grasp at any straw you can to uh, get yourself out of it or, or, or get your sense of security uh, back. So, uh, you know, in the midst of all of, of all of that is the backdrop, uh, everything that was going on and the things I was seeing also across politics and what the left constantly tells us about our society, which is just blatantly not true. Uh, you know, I felt it was a perfect title for the book because it was invading uh, all of the American fabric. So that's how I came up with uh, American Gaslighting. And um, then uh, the systemically hating, uh, getting America to systemically hate itself, you know, that's tied to, you know, the critical race theory and woke uh, ideologies that basically are specifically designed to tear American uh, values down and the American founding uh, down. And, and so uh, uh, that's a, a coordinated effort. You know, it's, you know, you say like, you know, propaganda and conspiracy theories, you know, are, are so... Uh, uh, I guess, uh, used to disparage people's ideas, but this is really a conspiracy fact. You know, it's all provable. It is happening and we see it across America. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because what, what I normally hear is character attacks, uh, ad hominems. You're crazy. Uh, you have no proof. Only an idiot would believe something like this. I, I never hear someone attacking the validity of the statements, the the logical basis of the things that we're saying. Mm -hmm. um, it, when when you take like the the COVID exchange, uh, for instance, which is exchanging your your freedoms for the the illusion really of security, because there still hasn't been anyone to successfully uh, correlate the lockdown measures or the the covid response measures with you know mitigating uh covid the the actual illness uh so i, I call it the when i think about the covid the pandemic response i call it the illusion of of security um it, it doesn't appear that things were really made uh safer by that and, and in a lot of ways it seems that uh other conditions might have been exacerbated when you look at depression, when you look at uh, suicidality over groups of people or ages or, or people in certain demographics who otherwise weren't uh, experiencing high rates of suicide. Um, it's just really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. <clears throat> so COVID's, COVID is obviously a great one. Um, curious if you, you know, I, like you mentioned from my military time, I'm friends with about three people who are experts in psyops, uh, you know, special forces career, uh, mm -hmm. guys, uh, in the army, it's green berets. And, um, one of the things that green berets do for a listener that doesn't know, um, is they work almost exclusively in tandem with, uh, 
U.S. Army psyops because they are playing mind games on the people they're embedded with constantly. Uh, as a child, I was always kind of confused and afraid when I heard that Green Berets go and they train military forces all over the world, um, and including in some pretty uh, sketchy places uh, in the Middle East, in, in Russia, and in mm -hmm. places that these are adversary uh, forces. I'm like, what's going on here? Um, well, it turns out that they're there's a healthy amount of propagandizing that goes on uh, in those training sessions <laughs> with Green Berets. It's, it's very interesting. If you ever get the ear of one, um, you know, uh, buy them a meal and, and have a conversation. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, Steve Bucci, he's been on the show a few times. He's, he's a fellow at the uh, Heritage Institute. Uh, he's a retired Special Forces Colonel from the Army. Fascinating guy. Um, and then there's... Um, Oh, what's his name? He wrote The Gorilla Factory over here. Is it on the side of the book? Uh, Tony Schwalm. Uh, I think he was a light colonel when mm -hmm. he got out. Um, but he actually wrote the book Gorilla Factory, The Making of the Modern Special Forces Warrior, I think is the subtitle. Mm -hmm. um, and he talks about the training, not just the, the I almost said buds, that seals, not just uh, the Q course, but the 52 plus weeks of training that occurs afterwards where you're where you're kind of becoming a little bit of an expert in these subversive uh, warfare tactics and unconventional warfare, which PSYOPs is a huge, huge thing. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I'm, I'm rambling a bit now. We, we started with COVID. I'm curious in your experience, in your research, what other big gaslighting uh, things you've seen um, that maybe the typical American is just unaware of. Yeah, the, the, the biggest one here is really um, that America is systemically and irredeemably racist. Okay, yeah. that is <laughs> the biggest one that's going on right now. And it's obviously false. Obviously it, it's, false. It's, uh, it's so, yeah, I'm glad that you said that. Maybe. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's the number one tool right now that's being used. Uh, and it is so, so much a, a, a derivative of Marxism that uh, people just don't understand how that is, uh, is correlated. And that's one of the things that I expose in the book. And that, um, you know, the whole premise of critical race theory uh, and wokeism, if people uh, aren't familiar with it, uh, is that there are opposing groups, right? All people uh, of color are oppressed uh, by uh, people, uh, non-people of color or, or typical, you know, white America, quote unquote. <clears throat> and uh, it is a, a direct takeoff of Marxism because Marx had the opposition of the proletariat and, and the bourgeoisie, as he called it, which was the, the worker class versus the elite owner class. And so um, and it creates this this tension that is designed really to tear apart the American fabric and cause, you know, uh, racial discontent and, and uh, you know, where it really doesn't, it doesn't exist at all. So, um, you know, so I examine that in, in um, detail. I trace back the, the roots, you know, uh, of the Democrat Party in particular, right, all the way back to its inception and how uh, they were the ones who basically perpetuated uh, slavery, uh, created the Confederacy, 
uh, fought to um, uh, maintain, you know, the the slave system. Then uh, throughout the post-war era, uh, when they regained some er uh, element of control, the Democrats uh, vetoed and filibustered and used every single method they could to defeat anti-lynching bills. Okay, uh, and this is all documented, right? So it is their history. And then uh, all of a sudden they, they flip, right? And suddenly they become this champion of civil rights in the 60s. And it takes us into the modern Democrat Party today, which is the sole practitioners of systemic racism in America. Okay, so America as a whole is not systemically racist. Uh, I walk about in my community, uh, you know, and we have an immensely diverse uh, community and there is no racial tension. It's just created. It's fabricated by these elements that are profiting uh, first off of critical race theory type trainings and then also those who uh, wish to exploit it for political gain so they can uh, basically maintain power and divide Americans. So, I mean, right now, uh, if you talk about gaslighting, that is the number one thing that, that's going on that we need to uh, defeat. Man, I, I completely agree. And I, I would add to that the, the, the party flipping or the change of heart of the Democrats in the 60s was intentional and it was a propaganda campaign immediately while they like when they did it. It, it, they didn't change their opinion and then say, hey, you know what? There's an opportunity to propagandize here. They they were flagrantly uh, prejudicial, racist for uh, the Jim Crow laws and for all these things, which, again, it's so frustrating when you're uh, a, a guy or gal like us and we're like, look at the voting record. Mm -hmm. Congress has the records of all of these votes. They're publicly you don't have to FOIA. You can literally get on whatever it is, you know, yeah. congress.gov or whatever, you can see all of these voting records and you could see what the text of the bill was for and, you know, or read that little summary at the top. You, you don't have to be a very skilled researcher to find out what they're telling you right now is not true. But when the writing was on the walls of this civil rights movement, um, and the legislation is being talked about. The Civil Rights Act is being talked about so much and lobbied for so much. They can see that it's happening. Margaret Sanger is alive at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, LBJ is alive at the time. Both obvious racist, actual racist, not fake racist. Like they say, uh, right. they'll say Ted Cruz is a racist or they'll say, I can't think of anyone else's name. Trump, uh, DeSantis. Trump, yeah. uh, you know, all of these videos, they'll, I, I will know that I've arrived when they say about me that I'm the new black face of white supremacy, uh, which when you look at the definitions of those words, it, it's not, it cannot be true that, that that's just an absurd statement. Uh, but they see the writing on the wall. They see that the civil rights movement is happening. This legislation is going to pass. Uh, Jim Crow has fallen and, and, you know, desegregation is is the way of the future. So they go from a an obvious front 
facing racism to they have to come back into themselves and now publicly say that they're for all this unity and Al Sharpton and they become these champions of diversity. But in that same moment, they switch to a subversive psyops driven racism. Mm -hmm. And that's where that's where we have uh, the unfortunate fallout, because yeah, you also have to remember that the Moynihan report uh, comes out at a similar time. Uh, guys like Thomas Howell are writing about it. Uh, Charles Murray, great economist, great uh, political scholar of the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, is is writing um, about the Moynihan Report and and kind of what it means for the future of, of black America. And the Democrats think that we've got to stop this. Now, racism is coming to an end systemically from the government, you know, almost government sponsored right. racism which is true. There was government sponsored racism at a time. Guys, that was a long time ago. <laughs> that mm -hmm. was a long uh, time ago. And but so when it comes to an end, they say we've got to find out a way to put forward our racist ideas, but subversively. Right. And to me, the Democrats are the champions of gaslighting. When you when you've got Margaret Sanger's abortion uh antics which are targeted at suppressing growth of the black community which is targeted at getting black would-be mothers to kill their children um or when you've got uh lbj who actually sent surveyors out into uh, minority communities to see what levers they had to pull, what exact benefits they, the government would have to give these women to get them to break down their families, leave their husbands to have uh, children out of wedlock instead of under the security blanket of, because that formula for success is graduate high school, get mm -hmm. married before having children, which means actually before the child is born. So you knock up your girlfriend, you've got eight months to marry her before your child is born, eight or nine, um, 40, uh, 41 weeks ish, uh, and get a job and spend, get a job, make right. money and spend less than you make. And you will be successful, not just here in America, but just about anywhere in the world. And they've, they being the Democrats have had this, the psychological campaign against those things. Mm -hmm. And I think it was born out of the sixties. I think it was born between 1960 and 1968, right in that the height of the civil rights movement. Right. Um, that... And I'm, I'm, I haven't had the opportunity to read your book. So I, I do apologize for that, but I, I'm sure that there's, there's some of that in there. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, one of the key uh, parts of the book. And, the turning point, and don't hold me to the date because I, I get fuzzy sometimes, but I think it was 1954 was the Brown versus Board of Education decision yeah. that uh, put the writing on the wall for the Democrat Party and the institutional racists. And uh, an outgrowth of that was, uh, I believe, a, a senator um, uh, named Howard Smith. Again, I hope I got that name right. But he basically... Um, issued what was called the Southern Manifesto, uh, which was um, signed by a multitude of, of representatives, congressmen, and uh, senators. All, you know, mostly Democrats. I think all but two were there were just two Republicans, and they were probably in the South. Uh, but basically, the manifesto vowed to resist integration 
uh, by all legal means. And when you saw the um, grandstanding by Governor George Wallace, you know, when he stood in the doorway and, and all that famous uh, hoopla that he created, he was living out the Southern Manifesto, but ultimately, you know, had to uh, had to capitulate. So the Brown versus Board of Education happens. Meanwhile, JFK and LBJ are in are in the Senate, both of them. Uh, you know, it was clear that LBJ was an avowed racist. It's not so clear about JFK. So I kind of give him a little bit of a pass, right? But uh, we don't see, you know, because his life was cut short, what he would have done. But he was the initiator of the Civil Rights Act. And then um, after, you know, his initial term expired, LBJ runs for re-election. And man, he goes full court press to try to get this thing, um, you know, passed. Now, it might have been the, I think it was the right thing for the wrong reasons, right? Uh, he had a longer game plan in mind. And then shortly after that, he launches the war on poverty, which does exactly what you said, right? And there's documented evidence. I think the Heritage Foundation, uh, you know, did a, um, a study on this, on how, uh, you know, the war on, on poverty and all of the programs that it launched. And uh, I think we've spent close to, you know, close to a trillion dollars on, on the war on poverty. And what has it done, right? And it's very directly correlated how uh, the black communities were being destroyed as the war on poverty advanced and all of these social programs made their way into, uh, into those communities. So, uh, you know, in the famous words of Ronald Reagan, you know, we fought a war on poverty and uh, poverty won. So, uh, uh, that's, those were uh, one of his famous quotes, and he was full of those, as as you know. Yeah, you know, I I often uh, wonder what the rest of JFK's uh, life would have, uh, what it would have been like, and and how some of his ideas would have manifested in reality. I think the civil rights movement would have um, been different, probably, yeah. uh, and we probably would have a a different. Uh, democratic party or at least we would have had a different you know democrat party at least until the 90s or so um, right and you know what we're what we're living with today is, is not the uh, party of jfk for sure right the no. democrat party and if you go back and listen to jfk's inaugural address right and you didn't know that he was a democrat you'd swear that in today's terms he's a republican yeah right? Okay. Absolutely. He's talking about fiscal responsibility, personal responsibility, patriotism, all those themes are, are in there. And today, you know, what, what is it? Waving a flag? You know, well, you're supposed to kneel, you know, during the national anthem because, you know, the American flag is not respectable and America is not respectable. That certainly was not the America of JFK or, you know, his uh, his vision uh, for the country. So, yeah, there's a tremendous divergence, okay, between his ideas for the country. And, yeah, it's sad. We'll never know uh, what what the civil rights movement would have been, right, and the Civil Rights Act and what uh, shape it would have taken uh, after the fact. But uh, Johnson clearly seized that opportunity, and uh, it's, been, uh, it's been downhill ever since uh, for black communities because of that. And still today, you know, look at where we are with uh, Black Lives Matter, defund the police, uh, you know, rampant crime uh, in, in Chicago, right? Uh, the, the murders of uh, 
black on black crime and young black people just being killed in the streets and you know, involved in gangs. What's being done to stop that? And and how do um, organizations like Black Lives Matter stay completely silent on on that? Right? Because it doesn't matter to me who kills anybody. It's certainly who kills a black life. And we want to find out and, and find out why it happened and stop it, right? Because those Black Lives Matter, uh, too, in, in the uh, true sense of the statement, not the uh, political and organizational slogan that it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when, when you think of uh, a couple of things that you just said, BLM, um, uh, the and the resurgence or the the initial surgeons <laughs> what what's that word the uh, this arrival of all things woke here in the united states mm -hmm. uh, which is a really wokeness is a, a very interesting ideology um because it's impossible to satisfy uh the target is moving and and no one is safe from the woke mob turning on them you you can't achieve that that amount of of you know holy benevolence to be out of the reach of the woke mob um but i just from the read-ups that are online i i know that your book touches on this the, there is a through line between this rise of wokeness and and marxist ideology in the united states and it's nuts it's mm -hmm. wild. We we had a Cold War. Um, we went to the ends of the earth to stop communist, socialist re regimes to fight Marxism. And maybe we dropped the ball on getting good education out there about what it is and, and the, the evils of it because it's destructive. Um, you know, not just we're better than, but no, no, no. We, we want to, to do policies that result in less harm. We're, we're harm reductionists. That should be the goal. Mm -hmm. um, and these policies sound good, but they actually increase harm exorbitantly. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just, I'm interested in your thoughts in, in the synergy between gaslighting and, and Marxism and, and how wokeness is taking over in the United States, really for the, the chief aim of promoting Marxist ideologies, which I have my ideas about who's doing it. Uh, but I'm, I'm really curious to hear your take. Well, sure. So, you know, wokeness um, is, is all connected. It's all connected to uh, critical race theory uh, to a degree. But uh, it's basically, uh, you know, CRT is really about racism, and then woke culture uses racism basically to tear down America. And I see the the beautiful uh, uh, picture behind you of George Washington, you know, crossing the, the Delaware, you know, and George Washington and and our founders are chief targets of the woke movement. And the logic goes that they were hypocrites, right? So it's a it's a, a ad hominem attack that says, okay father of our country how could he be a father of our country the guy owns slaves uh jefferson owned slaves uh i believe madison owned slaves all of these great uh minds and so they use a woke ideology basically to just as the subtitle says to teach america you know to systematically hate itself because you look at washington and people automatically claim well anything he did and said 
should be ignored and canceled and discounted because he was a slaveholder, right? So they do not examine history in in the time of those people, right? And, and when they live, they don't examine their character in their time. They kind of pull one fact selectively forward and then judge the entire individual and the entire time period based on that one solitary fact. So that is a classic uh, uh, ploy that's used in propaganda and gaslighting, and that's the half-truth. 2023 is the best time to make a career pivot, maybe get to a job that you've never done and have no experience in. Every day you hear about a company that's making massive layoffs and maybe you're thinking about changing jobs or even pivoting careers completely. Now is the perfect time to do it and I'm gonna show you how. Here are three quick tips on how to make a successful pivot this year. Tip one, know the difference between active and passive methods. So many people think applying for hundreds of jobs on LinkedIn and Indeed and Glassdoor is an active method. It's actually a passive method. I'm not saying to stop doing it. I'm just saying to lower your expectations on the ROI of that time. Instead, an active method is calling, texting, private messaging, and emailing people who have the job that you want. This isn't spam. This is personalized one-on-one -on -one messaging and conversations with people who have already successfully built a career in the job that you want. Tip two is network acceleration. You've got to become a master at networking to successfully get a new job, especially if you're changing career fields altogether. To get into this habit, we're gonna start with friends and family. They already know who you are, so have new conversations that sound like this. This is what I've done, this is what I'd like to do. Then have the discipline to be quiet and let them speak. Process the information and give you genuine and authentic feedback. Tip three is purposeful self-promotion. Now that you've got the skills from one and two, you are networking with absolutely everyone. You're doing a three-part introduction. This is who I am, this is what I've done, this is what I'd like to do, and then you pull back and let the person engage. This sounds so simple, but so few people are doing this high win method. I haven't applied for a job since high school. I've always gotten my roles by being invited in to join someone's team. I use these very steps to go from law enforcement to military to management consulting, high stakes fundraising, key leader roles, and a whole lot more. This method works and it will work for you. Click on the link below for a free coaching session. Guys, this is just the beginning. I have a ton of value to give you. While you're down there, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. Share this with someone who is scared about making a pivot and who needs to know that they can change jobs and they can change careers career fields right now in 2023. Bonus tip, master conversational catch. When you have a goal in mind and you're going into these conversations, you tend to talk too much. That's out of nervousness and excitement. We've got to play conversational catch. You don't want to be a ball hog holding onto the ball, not letting the other person say something. That's not a conversation, that's a lecture or a speech. The more the other person is talking, the better of a time 
they're having. You're building rapport and your relationship is deepening. I've used these methods to have successful careers in more than five different professional markets and I know you can too. Bottom line, don't stay in a job that you don't love. Even if you need to change career fields, it's not too late. Right now in 2023 is the perfect time to do it. Change jobs, change careers, or even build a business from the ground up. I can coach you through. Book a free discovery call at thejoemobleyshow.com slash coach. thejoemobleyshow.com slash coach. Book the call right now. Right, the half truth is extraordinarily powerful in swaying the uneducated uh, into a particular point of view because uh, it cannot be denied. Yeah, Je uh, Jefferson, Washington, Madison, they all own slaves. Yes, this is true, but does that invalidate the other truths that they uh, espoused every day and what they gave us in the founding of the document? And that's illogical, right? It's illogical to say because of this one fact, the truth doesn't exist. Okay. Uh, are we born with inalienable rights or are we not? Okay. And we, we are, okay. We certainly have those, uh, those rights. So what Jefferson said is true, whether he owns slaves or not, doesn't change that. Okay. But that, that's one of the things that gaslighting uh, does and the propaganda does and how the woke culture, uh, you know, plays off of it to basically take these people down. But if you think about it, if you think that Washington, Jefferson, uh, Madison and all the rest of the founders, uh, I believe, you know, the, the majority of the signers of in, uh, the Declaration of Independence were slaveholders. Um, and if you say, well, OK, they ought to be all canceled and we ought to ignore everything they did and said. Well, what about the Democrat Party? Should we should we cancel them? Should we forget them? Because from 1850, it's documented evidence that they were extraordinarily racist. And they're extraordinarily racist today because they're the only ones who are peddling critical race theory. They're the only ones who are saying that less policing in black communities is a good thing for all the people being killed and, and, and for all of the rampant uh, uh, drug sales that go on there. So who are the racists, really? OK, they still have carried on their their racist baton. So if uh, if, you know, I look for logical consistency. Right. If you tell me somebody is a hypocrite should be canceled. Well, <laughs> the Democrat Party are the ultimate. They're the ultimate hypocrites. You know, let's cancel them. <laughs> and it's also important to consider things in context, because uh, uh, what you said about them having to pull facts forward through time and in history uh that that's an important it's like a rhetorical device in debate that people will do it's important to shut that down i i try and do a reversal of it because i imagine like yourself i have a lot of conversations with marxists with um really impassioned but uh misinformed and oftentimes uneducated uh far leftist and I try and use their champions, whether it be Obama or uh, whoever the champion feminist of the day is, Hillary Clinton or AOC or whomever. Um, and I try and ask them to imagine sometime 200, 300 years in the future, uh, you know, it's possible that uh, America or Western civilization has advanced beyond the use of plastics and, and they have come up with something that's so sustainable and so much better to use that plastic 
is as obsolete as slavery is to the United States. Mm -hmm. Would it be, and I asked them, would it be fair to look at a picture of Obama and say that he needs to be erased in the same way that George Washington needs to be erased because he drank out of a plastic bottle? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, of course not, because in that time, a plastic bottle was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. Everyone used that your, your biggest climate activist used plastic mm -hmm. somewhere, some shape, form, whatever. Um, and we're fortunate to live in a time throughout the arc of history, uh, where, where slavery is the exception, not the rule, but for all of human history, you know, we're, 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 we're on the right of the enlightenment of the Renaissance era exactly. of this golden period. Like we, we, <laughs> we are cosmically lucky. Right. Uh, yeah. Plus, now, there's I, a few things that uh, that um, people need to understand uh, about uh, the whole progression of the timeline, okay, which is, is highly cherry-picked. And when I um, uh, was doing research for the book, you know, I, I had to go into the belly of the beast, man. I had to watch CRT videos. I read, you know, CRT books. Uh, uh, training courses, you know, just to see what these people were saying, you know, and how they they cherry picked history. Uh, so it, it, the point is, they they heavily cherry pick it, and they they only select the the things that support their narrative, and not not the other uh, side. So that's one point. But I I have a great story I'll share right now uh, about what happened when I was at a speaking engagement, and I was speaking about leadership to a group. And at the conclusion of the talk, a black gentleman comes up to the front of the room and, uh, you know, introduces himself and, and says that I might want to reconsider who I cite as admirable leaders that we should emulate. And I thought for a second and I immediately caught on to where he was going. Uh, but I said to him, what do you mean exactly just to further understand his position? And he goes, well, you know, you cited uh, Jefferson and Washington as two leaders that you admire most, and they were slaveholders. And I said, ah, okay, I understand. And then I backed up and I said, listen, there are four people in America, basically in American history, that are most pivotal in our ability of you and I to stand here as equals and gentlemen and have a calm conversation about uh, our history. And I said, I'm going to start from the most current and work backwards and we'll see where our opinions differ. And I said, okay, let's start with Martin Luther King. Okay. He was pivotal in the civil rights movement. Um, I said, without his um, eloquence and his leadership, I said, civil rights probably doesn't advance nearly as far as it does. And, um, uh, you know, it could be decades more before uh, true equality is achieved uh, in society. So I said, and plus, you know, he gave his life for what he believed in. He, and, uh, and I said, I, I admire King, and I think he was one of those great leaders. I said, any objections so far? He says, no, no, we're good. I said, all right, next one, we're working backwards. Lincoln. I said, uh, Lincoln, uh, you know, was an incredible inspiration. He was almost like a godsend, okay? It was almost as if God Almighty had placed Lincoln in this point in history uh, in, in America to save the Union. 
And without his steady hand and his uh, clear thought and leadership and his commitment to the Constitution and the rule of law while trying to win a war, I said, you know, if he doesn't win, you know, and the South uh, wins, uh, well, slavery goes on for probably another hundred years. Okay, so I said, any problem with Lincoln? No, no problem with Lincoln. I said, okay, all right, moving backwards once again, let's go to Jefferson. Okay, I said, Jefferson, if he doesn't write the words that all men are created equal, what platform does a Lincoln or a King have to stand on? Right. If if Jefferson's influence isn't uh, throughout our founding and his ideas that emerge from the Enlightenment, and he knew full well what he was writing, he knew that he was a conflicted person in his in his uh, position in, in life. Uh, I said, if he didn't write those words, you know, King doesn't really have much to point to. King had to uh, remember the, the 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 check. He said, we want the, the I forget exactly the words, but, you know, we want to cash that check, you know, that has been written uh, to, to all Americans. And then finally, I said, uh, how about uh, Washington? I said, if Washington doesn't win the Revolutionary War, Jefferson and all the other founders are probably executed. There's no Lincoln and there's no king. <laughs> so I said, you know, you can call him a slaveholder or whatever you want. But I said he was pivotal and important. And without those two men, I said, you and I are not standing here, you know, today in the st status that we both enjoy. So, you know, he kind of walked away and he thought he thought about it. I'm not sure I convinced him or anything, but or changed his view or maybe he started voting Republican after that. I don't know. But, uh, you know, but that was my viewpoint, that those four men were pivotal. So it just shows you how we, we have got to look at history in its own context. And and those two men also, we have to think about this, that. The, United, the um, Great Britain at the time was profiting immensely off the slave trade. And America had to win the right to govern itself before it could do anything about slavery. Because if we tried to shut it down legislatively with our colonial legislatures, the crown would have intervened and said, oh, no, that's going to harm profits. And you guys are disbanded because they routinely disbanded uh, colonial legislators back in the day when they did something that the crown didn't like. So that's the that's the history. That's where how we arrived to where we are uh, today. And I trace that through in the book. And, and I hope that people read it and understand that the pivotal elements that took place to right the wrongs. Right. And because of our founding and because of our framework, we were able to self-correct. And I'm hoping that, again, today, somehow our Constitution and our system allows us to self-correct and turn away from this uh, the steering towards leftism that we've been subjected to. Well, that's some um, inherent conservative thought uh, because it, it's weird. You know, obviously I grew up uh, for, if you're a podcast listener, I'm black. Uh, so I, <laughs> I grew up in a black family in a black community and the ideas of, you know, uh, reach back and, and help people and, and bring them with you. Uh, the idea of, um, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants is there, but how it manifests in reality is, is, is perverted. It's not right. Mm -hmm. Um, because what you just laid out is, 
is accurate and the historical record shows, yes, um, Martin Luther King is as far away in history as he was from a George Washington. The, the, he's standing on the shoulders of the sacrifices and the ideas and the contributions that these men all made. Mm -hmm. And when when you look at the left, they, they look at history as these isolated little pinpoints. And we're whoever the present people are the most virtuous always. Correct. And it's this culture of outrage. And it really. Oh, man, it's frustrating. It, it's it's really frustrating. Um, so I, I got to ask you some questions about the, the practicality of the gaslighting. Are they being successful and. I, I hope the answer is no, but I, I don't know what you're going to say. Are they being successful? And it, ultimately, if the gaslighters among us are successful, what does the future hold? What does life look like on the other side of, you know, just this unstoppable gaslighting? Well, you know, we're we're in the midst of information warfare right now. And um, and just like any war. Uh, there are ebbs and flows, right? You have good days and you have bad days. And um, there's been lots of bad days up until, you know, recent times here. Uh, but uh, there are things that are, you know, in the movement uh, to reverse this and to combat it is, is um, um, coalescing. And I think that uh, the counter movement uh, against woke culture and against critical race theory is going to ultimately su succeed. Uh, and I'll tell you uh, why, but you know, we have to, first of all, <laughs> protect our liberty and our free speech, number one. And we have to protect all of the Bill of Rights, you know, even the parts that, uh, you know, that the leftists uh, don't agree with, okay? You cannot give a single inch on the Bill of Rights. It was all well thought out and done for a reason. So we have to protect our rights so we can continue to, to push back. Um, so, yes, uh, it has been successful. It's clearly so, clearly so, because otherwise we wouldn't be voting in uh, candidates like uh, Raphael Warnock okay, and, uh, and John Fetterman and AOC uh, and even Bernie Sanders, who, you know, uh, are people that are totally tied into socialist ideology. I mean, if it wasn't effective, we wouldn't be getting those kinds of candidates uh, elected. So it has been effective. But then we see on the other side, um, uh, people beginning to emerge that are willing to put everything on the line. Uh, I really applaud recently the, the statements of James Woods, uh, the actor, uh, who has uh, become just a uh, a warrior, you know, for free speech and um, and uh, conservatism? Uh, I also came across a story recently of a former executive of uh, Levi's Corporation, which is a you know I wear Levi's, I love the product, but I got to tell you the co the corporation is about as leftist as and woke as it can be. Uh, and she was a, a vice president of marketing. She was pushed out of Levi's. OK, because she didn't believe in the covid protocols that were being implemented and saw them as an affront to civil liberty and uh, also uh, doubted whether or not they would work. So she was she was pushed out. She's become now a warrior <laughs> uh, against this. And there are many, many other people that are starting to emerge 
you know, shows like this, uh, my, my book, uh, all kinds of other people are, are coming out. And the key to to uh, to defeating it is is well two things. The first I spoke about is making sure that our civil rights to free speech are, are sacrosanct and protected, and then we have to stop self censoring. Self censorship is a huge uh, factor that just basically lends uh, victories to to the left, and that occurs if people aren't familiar with the term when. Uh, you're uh, you're too timid and afraid to speak up against woke ideology. So say you're at a corporation and somebody tells you that you're racist just because of the level of melanin in your skin and you sit there and take it, well, then you're self-censoring. And if you do not get in the fight by pushing back, you're basically just, you know, uh, becoming a part of the problem. So we have to basically collectively push back on all fronts and believe me that if you're in a situation like that where somebody is making such a racist remark, the Civil Rights Act is for all people. Okay, It works for, for white people as well as black people. If, if your civil rights are violated because of the color of your skin, that's a violation of the Civil Rights Act. Right? And you have the, the right to sue. So these trainings, to me, are not going to last long because they're racist. They're violations of the Civil Rights Act. And there are organizations and uh, there's a, a legal organization that was formed to basically uh, handle these types of lawsuits. So you need to be able to bring these lawsuits and contact those organizations and, uh, and fight back because pain in the wallet to these corporations will get the message across that they need to stop being woke because it's just uh, gaslighting and it's a, it's a blatant uh, a harm against the American culture. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, the Civil Rights Act, it, it covers, uh, you know, sex, uh, race, uh, religion is one of those protected classes as well. And, um, you know, it, it's no secret to many of my viewers, but I'll, I'll say instead of saying the name of the firm, uh, once upon a time, I consulted at the largest technology consulting firm in the world. Uh, the place is impossibly diverse that's just the way that it is. Some of the smartest people I've ever known um, work there. And the way that they handled things like COVID, things like the death of George Floyd, um, things where they had so much actual data, just the firm had so much data and, and so much knowledge to contribute to the world, to the dialogue, the way that they just kind of shirked that responsibility drove me crazy. Um, but mm -hmm. ultimately... One of the things that drove me out, which is is uh, very likely going to be litigated and, and there it's an ongoing conversation and people stop asking how it's going, because um, if, if you are involved in lawsuits, then one of the things that, you know, is you can't really talk about how it's going. Mm -hmm. um, but they put out a a firm wide training material uh, that was part of the packet of training material that is like uh legally required it was um oh man what was it called it, it was like the anti-harassment or harassment mm -hmm. in the workplace type training so it's just one of those trainings that's required by law everyone taking every job in the u.s um but they had the scene where there there's basically a a 
transgender conflict of sorts. And there's an employee who clearly identifies himself as a Christian male. And he, he falls prey to the pronoun boo boo. Mm -hmm. And in the video, who's clearly identified as either a senior manager or a managing director. So just near the top of the firm says, I'm not telling you what to believe. You just can't believe it here at work. Mm. And it was so now, look, we've all taken these trainings. I, I was 11 years in the military. You know, I was several years in the 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 classified consulting scene. So you're kind of glossing through it because you, they, they don't refresh them a lot. And it was such a shock that it, it took me out of my stupor of kind of clicking through the videos and I had to rewind it and I had to watch the whole video again. Cause you can't go back 10 seconds because I said in my mind, I said, there's no way. Um, now the, the Christian character in the training cited the, the he didn't call himself out as a Bible believing Christian, but in his retort, he cited a scripture from the Holy Bible. It, mm -hmm. it, it was a Genesis scripture. Ver. So you can't really make an argument. You can't say, oh, well, this was an ambiguous religion. Mm. Well, no, he, he said like Genesis 310 or something like in his speaking to the this manager um, who who says, Look, I don't care what you do off the clock, but here it's my way or the highway. It was such a shock. Um, and and I, I got a conversation with uh, the firm's chief legal counsel and her statement. I'll never forget. She said, you're not wrong, but the position of the firm is X, Y and Z. Mm. Um, <laughs> and it just blew my mind. Um, well, but see, yeah, that... the civil rights is for everyone and yes, everyone's it, a recipient. Ex absolutely. See, that's just an example of how, you know, they're, they're taking on a, um, you know, so, so sue me, I dare you mentality. Right. Yeah. And, because they've got they're, deep they're pockets and they know that bringing a lawsuit is expensive. Right. And that's why it's so important to have these, these groups that are essentially crowdfunded, you know, so they can do pro bono work and, uh, and take on cases like that. So it's almost like, you know, the uh, a, a sane version of the American Civil Liberties Union. Uh, and so if the American Civil Liberties Union was actually um, not a bunch of hypocrites, they would have jumped on that case. OK, they, they would have. And I, I did. I sent the, a brief to them to Thomas More Society, Liberty Council, Alliance Defending Freedom, um, they were the only ones that I did not hear back from. And when I got on the phone with lines, defending freedom with the intake person, she laughed out loud. She said, you gotta be kidding. I said, I, I, re I actually recorded it. Mm -hmm. Um, which, uh, you know, some people say that that's illegal. Uh, the whistleblower act says that you're wrong. Uh, you're what's known as wrong. You, you, you see something illegal, you report it in house. Uh, you're told, shut up or go work somewhere else, then yeah, then you, you can record it. It's not classified. It's, it's a, no. it's a training video. It's, yeah. It's proprietary um, material. Yeah. yeah. But then the, so then the attorney gets on and she basically says, tell her what you told me. Uh, <laughs> and so I repeated it again and the attorney laughed out loud. She said, there's no way I said, mm -hmm. I have the video. 
and they they were blown away because of how pointed it was. Uh, it wasn't good gaslighting, I'll tell you that. No, <laughs> no they, they probably weren't very skilled. <laughs> they should have hired Eva Max Kendi or someone else. It, it wasn't subversive. It was pointed. Yeah. Um, man, you mentioned uh, effective of COVID protocols and uh, civil liberties. When I did, I did my master's in Homeland Security, and there were some cutover courses that were from the law school and one of my favorite ones in the debates in that class were huge. It was the course was called security and civil liberties. And how do you balance those ideas? And you, you nailed it when you were talking about that Levi employee, because one, you know, uh, I think you said she didn't believe in the efficacy of the protocols, right. but even if the protocols were hundred percent effective in snuffing out illness, whatever, um, the civil liberty aspect of it kind of sets on top of it. And, and again, piggybacking on you said the Bill of Rights must remain. Mm -hmm. um, you know, during the actual plague, uh, there was this, um, his name escapes me, there was this Methodist or Catholic priest uh, who, you know, the, the church, he said that the church will remain open and, and he he went out into the street um, to get pastor buyers and to bring them in. Now, of course he got the plague and died. Um, but he said to law enforcement, or I think they sent someone from parliament over to like, you know, tell him he couldn't, he had to disband. He couldn't do this. And he said that he was, if he were truly believing what he professes to believe, then he, he would have to believe that he is, uh, concerned with things eternal and these people are surely going to die mm -hmm. plagues going around then he's like then i have to yeah mm -hmm. and and you can't stop me he, he's like i i would effectively be damning them to hell myself right so the uh, the, the story of the, the levi's executive you know her main what triggered her was the fact that her kids were going to public school and she was actually an outlier because most mm -hmm. of the executives at Levi's were sending their kids to these private schools that stayed open. Okay. Even in San Francisco, right? Because they were private. They did, they did what they wanted to do. Uh, her kids were, were sent home and weren't allowed to go to school because she was in public school. So she began to really see the hypocrisy of the left, right? How everything is, you know, good for thee, but not for me, as the saying goes. And so they basically told all the, the kids and all the, you know, all the way down, because there's, you know, upper middle class all the way down to, uh, you know, um, very uh, uh, marginalized, underprivileged kids that, uh, you know, were all shut out of school. And the ones who suffered the most are the ones who are at the bottom of the economic ladder, independent of race, right? Because they have to go to public school. They need that education and they're being denied it. So, you know, incredible abuse of political power when it was clear. And uh, I got COVID. Uh, I lost a brother to COVID. I was all over the CDC website looking at the statistics. I'm an engineer uh, and I understand statistics. I had statistics courses. When I was looking at the statistics, I said it's absolutely absurd to close schools. There were no children dying. 
there was like a total of maybe eight or nine children that died supposedly from COVID, but their underlying condition is that they all had cancer. They had, they were yeah. battling leukemia already and they, their immune system was already shot, you know, from the chemotherapy and the illness that they were going through. So children that died had severe comorbidities. The children also were proven very early on to not be spreaders. Somehow they just didn't spread the disease because they didn't create enough of um, virulence in their own bodies to really spread it, you know, to to adults and infect adults. And this was all documented early on. And yet we were gaslighted and are still being gaslighted right, into saying that our children uh, need to be vaccinated with a vaccine that doesn't stop the spread doesn't work and may have extreme side effects for young people. So why are we doing this? Okay, it is absolutely uh, bizarre and another uh, example of extreme gaslighting. Uh, so, you know, one final thought, you know, too, with the schools and, 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 and something I definitely want to bring up because, you know, we talked about Marxism a lot and we talked about the tactics that the left is using. And you mentioned the T word, transgenderism okay and um <laughs> without word. getting into the uh specifics of you know the psychology is it a disease or is it not a disease is it real is it not real uh we will we should leave that to true scientists all right and and honest psychologists to deal with but what the schools do is blatantly wrong all right so if you if you put your child joey on the school bus in the morning and you wave him goodbye and then he gets off the bus and he starts telling his teacher he wants to be called judy do you think you have a right to know that he's doing this that your child is going through some kind of crisis as a parent but yet there are policies in in virginia where i live and i met you in, in loudon county so i don't know if you're you're local to me as well but uh, in Loudoun County and Fairfax County, where the schools are not required to tell the parents, not required. And to me, you see, the it's the, in the, violation of Virginia state law. But yeah, those, those policies are out here, which is another thing that's going to be litigated. Exactly, exactly. And uh, basically, the, the main point of that, though, is that the left exploits this as an opportunity to insert state control between parents and children, okay? And if you go and you read the Communist Manifesto, okay, which I had, had to read as part of my research and I document the main points in, in the book, that's one of the key points of, of Marxism is that the state is responsible for your child once you have your child, right? And so, it, you know, if this doesn't scare the heck out of people when, when, when these erosions of our freedoms occur, I don't know what does. So we've got to wake up before it's too late. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, if, if I could get one more answer out of you, because uh, this this could seem like a doom and gloom interview. What do you think the way forward is if we are to stop the impact that gaslighting is having on our society and, and kind of fight back against the Marxism and all of these these lies that are being uh, pushed culturally. So you know, we th there's a number of fronts we have to fight on, and um, I mentioned the um, don't self censor, become a warrior. I tell people put on the body armor of God, 
and you can look up that scripture, the body armor of God and, and speak the truth boldly. That, that is what I say. Uh, don't be afraid. Okay. Because the truth is on your side and the truth will ultimately win. And I talk about the truth in the book um, because the truth stands like a mighty pillar in a storm. Uh, it can't be knocked down. Um, and yet it takes no energy to hold the truth upright. A lie, in contrast, requires constant energy to be um, held up. Okay, It has to be constantly bolstered by additional lying. And you see this whole movement unraveling with how um, with thankfully what Elon Musk is doing at Twitter. So this is a seminal moment, okay, what's happening at Twitter, and it shouldn't be played down because he is doing something that, you know, is almost God's work here as far as un un uh, unveiling everything that was done with suppression of, of the Hunter Biden laptop and how the government colluded to suppress our free speech. So I hope that he takes it to the hilt. I think he has no choice. Uh, because he has to clean out uh, Twitter and start clean. Otherwise, his enemies will ultimately use it against him because anything he doesn't reveal, he becomes an accessory to. Right? Just like if you know somebody is, is, uh, uh, has robbed a bank and you wind up helping that person somehow, you're an accessory. So he's got no choice. So basically, that's, that's the way, part of the way forward is you know, stop the self-censoring uh, you know, tell the truth fearlessly, uh, support things like, you know, what Elon Musk is doing to expose these things. And then most of all, we have got to make the case for conservatism. We have got to explain to people that the conservative philosophy is what is most aligned with the founding of our Constitution. And the more you veer left away from conservatism, the more you get uh, uh, eroded uh, rights and eroded um um, you know, eroding of the Constitution and their Bill of Rights. And I lay this out in the book as well, you know, the political spectrum, how it works, and uh, and how the, the left, uh, fascism is truly a leftist movement, and yet they keep trying to pin it on conservatives. So people need to understand what conservatism really means. It means a small government. It means individual rights. It means fiscal responsibility. But most of all, it means personal responsibility as well. Because to be a functioning member of a free democratic republic, you have to be personally responsible for your actions and not look to government for every solution. So those are my thoughts there, Joe. I hope that uh, wraps it up for you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Guys, uh, the author is Dan Scheite. The book is American Gaslighting, How America is Being Systemically Taught to Hate Itself. Go to AmericanGaslighting.com. If you're listening, if you're watching, all you got to do is look in the show notes. You just go right under our heads or our uh, that squiggly, uh, you know, voice modulator looking thing for podcast listeners uh, and you just touch it with your finger. I know you're listening to this on your smartphone. Uh, so you literally just touch it with your finger. It couldn't be any easier. Thanks for supporting the show. Dan, thanks so much for coming on. It's a complete pleasure, Joe. Great to see you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.